Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. I am Mark. I'm the associate pastor here at New Day Community Church. For those who don't recognize me, I've spent most Sundays down in Vandalia, uh, so it's awesome to be up here and worshiping at Nichols with you guys again this morning. Such a fun and amazing morning. I'm glad to, to be here and, like Graham said, wrapping up the, the series through First John. Hopefully it has been encouraging for you as it has been for me. A couple years ago, um, Amber, my, fa- my wife, and my family, we rented a, a little cottage on, on a lake, and we also rented a, a pontoon boat, which was so much fun. And, and the reason that we rented a, a pontoon boat that, that second year was because the year before that, we had rented a, a cottage for vacation and not a pontoon boat. And I spent most of the time just sitting on the shore watching people with pontoon boats, wishing <laughs> that I was happy like they were. And so, and so uh, next year, Amber's like, hey, how about we just rent our own pontoon boat and we can have uh, a fun family vacation too. So obviously I'm being a little bit facetious there, but it was, it was really, really fun having the, the pontoon boat. And so every day that week, we would go out onto the lake and we'd pack a lunch and the kids and everybody would get in their swimsuits and we'd go out and we'd jump in and swim around. And it was, it was really, really great. The final day of vacation, we wanted to take advantage of this, uh, the boat, and so we did the same thing, got our swimsuits, our towels, all the stuff, lunch, went out to the, the boat and noticed that the wind had picked up quite a bit that day. Uh, but the sun was still shining, it was still hot, it was summertime, and we wanted to take advantage of this, and so we got in, we shoved off from the dock and went out into the lake. We dropped our anchor at the place where we like to drop anchor, and we, the kids and I would jump in. And, but this time when we jumped in, suddenly this pontoon boat is coming bearing down on us, and we had to swim around real quick and, and climb up the, the ladder. And, and I'm like, oh, that was weird. And then let's find a place that's maybe a little more uh, secluded. Maybe the wind won't hit us so much. And so we find another little cove, drop the anchor, and the same thing happens. And we try another place, and the same thing happens. And eventually I'm like, we're just going to go out into the middle of the lake, and then we'll, we'll drop the, the anchor, and at least we'll have some time before we smash into the shore. And so we, we, we did that, and uh, we're, we're swimming. Molly, the wind takes Molly's uh, towel and th- throws it into the water, and it's lost to the deep in that lake somewhere. And eventually we're just like, well, even our little anchor isn't doing enough, and so we hauled it up and, and went back to the, the cottage. And I tell that story because often in our lives, we can feel like that pontoon boat, right? We can feel like life is blowing us into the shore. And regardless of what anchor we put down, it doesn't seem quite strong enough to keep us safe and secure. And, you know, maybe those difficulties are this this sinful nature, that we struggle with. Maybe the, the difficulties are the, the confusing teachings of this world or our culture. There's all this stuff conspi- uh, conspiring, it seems, uh, against us to smash us into the shore and we don't feel safe. We don't feel 
secure. And if you feel like that this morning, don't worry, you're not alone, and we are not alone. This has been going on for a long, long time. And I think that John wrote this letter to identify, uh, or to, to teach those that he was writing to, that in the midst of their storms, in the midst of their turbulent, turbulent lives, they could find security and safety. Not in their own strength. Right? Not in the, the things that the world say will keep us safe, money or, or power or whatever it is. Not trying to find security in some addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or, or something, trying to, or trying to find security and purchase in good things like the, our family or our jobs or whatever. But we'll only find true stability and true confidence in our lives when we find ourselves in Christ. And so today, the big takeaway through this pretty long uh, section of Scripture, the entire chapter, uh, the last chapter, chapter 5 of 1 John, the, the big takeaway for us today is that in Christ, in Christ we can find confidence in turbulent times. John was writing to a group of people who were apparently kind of confused. There was all these false teachers and antichrists, these different uh, things kind of coming against them, and they were confused. John was writing to a group of people who were feeling kind of blown this way and that by their sin nature, but John comes and tells them that there's one place that you can find confidence, that you can find stability, and that is in Christ. And so as we move through this chapter, we're going to see that we can have confidence in Christ in our victory, our victory over sin. In Christ, we can have confidence in the testimony of Jesus or the testimony about Jesus. And third, we're going to see that we can have confidence in God, that he is for us, that he is with us, and that he's never going to abandon us. So we've got quite a bit to cover today, um, and so some of this stuff, it might feel like, oh, Mark's moving through that very quickly. That is just the reality, because there's two sections, <laughs> there's two sections in this text where we need to slow down a little bit because the language gets a little bit confusing, and we just want to take a look at that and go, man, what is he trying to say here? So first, we can have confidence in our victory over sin. So if you'll turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. John says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so it seems that John is trying to get our attention. 
in these, uh, the original languages, they did not have bold, they did not underline things, they didn't use italics, they didn't have exclamation points. And so to reinforce some, some point that they were trying to make, they would often repeat a, a word over and over again. And so here, in three sentences, John repeats this word, overcomes. We are overcomers. In Christ, we have overcome the world. And John is not here saying, trying to say, which we've already discussed, that the, the world or the physical reality is bad. God created this physical world on purpose, and it was good. It was perfect. Right? God created our physical bodies, and we will, when Jesus comes back, live on a perfect physical real world in perfect physical bodies. Right? And so John's not talking about the world, the physicality, but in the, the corrupt nature, the fallen side of the world. This, this sinfulness, this old sin nature that seems like it wants to, to dominate us and um, sometimes seems like it is in control of us. But John says that in Christ, because of our faith in Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, we have overcome the world. And in contrast to the, the, the false teachers that, he is, that are in the church that he's writing to, this is not because, you know, we've not overcome because of some secret knowledge. Right? We've not overcome because of our class or our race or our gender. We have overcome sin. We have overcome the world because of our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is important for us as much as it was for those John was writing to. If we forget that we are overcomers, we can feel just like that pontoon boat being blown this way and that by the wind, that we are, you know, we're just victims of our circumstances. I'm just a sinner. Yeah, I, maybe I'm going to smash into the shore, but Jesus will come back eventually and, and save me. But no, John says that's, that's not the case. You are a new creation. You are born of God. You have been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You are new. You are, are dead to sin and death and corruption. It doesn't have sway over you anymore. And when we recognize this and we remember this, we can step again into Jesus Christ and go, no, I am not falling sway to that sinful nature, though it feels so powerful and significant. Jesus overcame that, and I am in Jesus. We are overcomers. We can have confidence in our victory over sin. Second, John tells us that we can have confidence in the testimony of Jesus or the testimony about Jesus. So starting in verse 6, he says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts his testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
So this section ends pretty clearly. If we are in Jesus, if we have the Son, we enter into eternal life. But if we don't have the Son, if we've not put our faith in Jesus Christ, we do not have life. But he starts this section with something that is a little bit more confusing. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Oh, what does that mean? He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. Well, thanks, John, for the clarification. Uh, very helpful. Um, and so we have to go, what is he talking about? And because we are 2,000 years removed, we're reading this in translation, we have to do a little bit of, of work to go, what is the historical context? What is John addressing in the, this letter? And so what does he mean by these uh, couple of verses? Well, John is dealing with the, the problem of heresy. We have seen that throughout the, the book of 1 John. There are false teachers and antichrists in the church spreading lies about who Jesus is, and it is confusing people. Right? It is making people feel like that pontoon boat. They're out in the middle of the lake, and there's all these different teachings and ideas about who Jesus is, and they're like, maybe we just don't even know what we can believe. And so John is refuting that, and he says, this is the one who came by water and blood. Now, the water, he is referring to Jesus' baptism. Just like Jimmy referred to when Jesus came to be baptized in the Jordan by, by John, and the, the Spirit descends on him, and God the Father says, this is my beloved Son whom I love. Right? That was Jesus Christ. But not only did he come in baptism, but he also came in blood. The blood represents the, the crucifixion, his passion, right? T taking on the weight of, of sin and judgment on the cross. And why was John using this language? Why he, was he talking about this? Again, because of heresy. There were people in the church saying that Jesus was born a man, just a, a man like you or, or me, and he, at his baptism... The, the Spirit, when the Spirit descended, that was actually the Spirit of Christ descending on him. And at that moment, he became more than a man. He became Jesus plus God. And then he goes on his ministry journey for three, three and a half years, whatever it is. And at the cross, the Spirit leaves him and Jesus dies on the cross as a man. And John needs to be very, very clear about this that this is a heresy, that this is not uh, the, the truth about who Jesus is. Because if Jesus was just a man on the cross, then we are all still dead in our sins. We are hopeless. We needed that divine Son of God, the pure and, and spotless Lamb, to die in our place on the cross. And so that's why John is saying, he didn't just come at the baptism and leave before the crucifixion. He was fully God and fully man in the midst of both of those things. Does it make sense? The, you know, these heretics are trying to get their mind around this. Well, it doesn't make any sense that God would suffer this way and endure that kind of shame. And John's like, maybe it doesn't make sense. It's, but it's what God has revealed himself to be and what we absolutely needed. And it shows his amazing love that he was willing to endure that for us. So moving on, John continues and he says, it is the Spirit who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. 
For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. And so here we, we see that, that John is comparing God's testimony to human testimony. There is a lot of human testimony going on in the church, both true and untrue. Jesus is fully God and fully divine. No, Jesus is, he was only partially God. And, you know, all these different teachings. And, but John says, the Spirit himself testifies of the truth. And we see God's testimony again at the baptism of Jesus when the Holy Spirit falls as a, as a dove and we hear the voice of God say, this is my son whom I love. But then we also see the Holy Spirit testifying in the hearts of believers. Take a look at Romans chapter 5. I didn't put it on the slides, but we'll just turn there. Romans 5, 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God reveals his love for us through his Spirit in our hearts. When we are born of God, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us, testifying of who God is and who Jesus is. And then, a couple books later, Paul again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse 22, I'm going to start in 21. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. We see that the Holy Spirit is a deposit testifying of the truth of, of Jesus in our hearts. And then John has actually already dealt with this at the end of chapter 3. He says, The one who keeps God com God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. There is a testimony of the Spirit in our hearts. And often, and myself included, and I think it might be a, a product of our, of our culture, is that I don't love that. You know, I don't, like, that seems very subjective. What do you mean the Spirit is testifying to my spirit? How do I, how do I know that that is, is God speaking to me and not just the, the burrito that I ate last night? Right? How do I know that that is God testifying in my heart and not just my hopefulness? Like, oh, I really hope this is true. But we do a disservice when we we exalt like this uh, objective truth that we can prove in, in a lab and downplay the, the reality of the Spirit. Because God is Spirit. He became a man incarnate in Jesus Christ, but God eternally is Spirit, and he communicates to us in Spirit. And we can trust in that revelation. I was listening to a, a, a podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, Theology in the Raw, it's called, with the, the host uh, Preston Sprinkle, which is the greatest name. It's Preston Sprinkle, come on. And, uh, and he's amazing, and he does this uh, Q&A show talking about faith, gender, and sexuality. It's very, very excellent. 
Uh, but often he will interview uh, people in the, in the Christian world, academics or scholars or pastors or somebody, and he was interviewing this guy by the name of David Bennett. And David Bennett is a celibate uh, gay Christian who is studying theology, getting his doctorate, uh, working uh, under N.T. Wright. And if you know N.T. Wright, he's kind of a big deal right now. He's this big shot scholar, New Testament scholar, and an author. And uh, yeah, he's real hot right now. So, uh, so this guy, David, is getting his doctorate degree in theology under N.T. Wright. A very, very big deal. And he tells this story in this uh, podcast uh, about his, basically his testimony. And he said he grew up in a, in a Christian home. And at some point in adolescence, realized that he was gay. And came out uh, as gay, dealing with the, the difficulty of, of that situation. Um, and one day, he's 14 years old, and him and his boyfriend are in the park. And they are talking, they're holding hands, I don't know, he said they're kissing, and he, they're just, just there. And somebody comes up behind David and picks up a rock and throws a rock into his back. And immediately, David says, at that moment, I turned my back completely on God, completely on Christianity. I didn't want to have anything to do with these fundamentalist, bigoted, hateful people. And so he continued his, his life as a, as a gay man, getting his, uh, I think, his master's degree in journalism. And one day he is, uh, has this opportunity to interview this lady in her young, low, low 20s, or early 20s, and she's won this big award in the, the movie industry somewhere. And he meets with her to interview her to ask, how did you get such an incredible honor in, you know, so early in, in your life? And so sitting down in a coffee shop, and she says, well, do you want me to tell you the real reason? And he's like, well, yeah, I want to I know. How did you get so successful so young? She says it was, it was because of God. And he's like, ugh, ridiculous. Another one of these Bible thumpers. I don't want to talk to that. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And she says, you know, I just feel like I, should, I need to pray for you right now. And he kind of rolls his eyes. He's like, okay, fine. And she puts her hand on him and prays. And he says, I felt an oil pouring over my body. And in that moment, I realized who Jesus was and that he was the Messiah, that he was who he said he was. And this, it just blew me away. Here's somebody who he's not looking for God, right? He's rejected God. He's running after his own thing, doesn't care about God one way or the other, and yet God in his love, in his mercy, spirit to spirit reveals himself. Come on. We can trust in the revelation of the spirit. I know many people who have had sensations like that, who have felt oil on them or felt a fire on their hands or some other manifestation of the presence of God and we love those things and we think they're great. But there's many of us who have not had those kind of situations, those things happen to us and yet there is still this testimony in our hearts that we just know. We just know that Jesus is who he said he is. 
And that is the Spirit testifying to your spirit. When it aligns with God's revealed word, we can trust that 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 voice, that spirit testifying is God and it is the truth. And so we're running out of time. So this is the testimony. Uh, God has given us eternal life. And this is, this is quick. We do, it's this, we often think when we think about eternal life, we think, yes, yeah, someday we're going to step into eternal life. But John, and, well, anytime we, he uses the, the word eternal life with this or in his gospel, he's not talking about just longevity. He's not saying that you will live for eternity with God, though that is 100% true and it's going to be amazing. But he's also saying that we have eternal life in quality. We have full, abundant lives. Not just when Jesus comes back and renews the heavens and the earth and gives us new bodies. No, but we can step into the reality of the fullness of life in the here and now. Okay, moving along. Okay, confidence. So we can see that we have, in Christ, we have confidence in our victory over sin. In Christ, we have confidence in the testimony about Jesus, both natural revelation and supernatural revelation. But third, we're going to see in this final section of John that we can have confidence in God. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants them to know. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us whatever we ask. We know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those sins, uh, or I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Guess what? This is that next se difficult section. So, moving on. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So in this section, we are going to look and see that we can have confidence in God because he hears us, he protects us, and he reveals himself to us. Number one, we can have confidence that he hears us when we pray, when we talk to him. Earlier in this letter, in chapter 3, he said, we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. And so John expands on that a little bit in chapter 5, and he says if we ask anything according to his will, right, he will give us what we ask for. So what is he talking about? Is this uh, a blank check, right? This kind of name it and claim it prosperity gospel, right? I want a new couch, or I want a new car, I want a new house, and I've said it, and so God is going to, to answer me. Here it, here it comes. No, I don't think that's exactly what he's talking about, though God and I've seen him answer prayers like that. But what he is talking about here, his will, in the context of this letter, is knowing him. 
If we ask, God, I want to know you, he is excited to answer that prayer. If we pray, God, I want to know your love, he is excited to answer that prayer. We know in the context of this letter that it is his will that we overcome sin in the world. It is his will that we walk in obedience towards him. It's his will that we live in loving relationship with others. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we can see that it is very clearly his will to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. This includes the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We ask for any of those things. He is excited to give them. We know he wants to give gifts. We see many gift lists throughout the the New Testament. We can ask for the, the gift of prophecy, speaking in tongues, the gift of discernment, the gift of wisdom, the gift of administration, the gifts of service, the gifts of help. All of these things God is excited to give us. And when we ask for those things, we can have confidence that he's going to give them to us. And then we have this. Really, if you see a brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Wait, doesn't Paul say that all sin leads to death? John, what are you talking about? There's a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there's a sin that does not lead to death. Uh, yeah, so there's a thing. Um, so first of all, I think there's we have to remember, and when we look into this and we see how uh, Christians have translated this and understood this over the, the centuries, there is difference of opinion. All right? Not, not everybody's in agreement. And that is okay. Huh? Really? Is it? So, but we can be very clear, it seems very clear, that, that John is saying in the context of chapter 5, don't just pray for yourselves. Right? Yes, God is going to hear your prayers, but this letter is about building community. So how do we live in community together? Don't just pray for yourselves, but pray for your brothers and your sisters too. If they're committing a sin, pray for them. John Stott, uh, an author and pastor, says the way to deal with sin in the congregation is to pray. It's not always my first thought, right? So often I want to, uh, maybe I want to gossip about them. Do you hear what this person did? Right? Or maybe, especially in a church, we've got two services. Oh, man, that person really hurt me. They really offended me. I think I can still go to this church and never see them. <laughs> right? Everything's fine. I just don't see them. It's good. Right? But that is, not, that is not what John is calling us into. That is not what kingdom community is about. We are called to quickly forgive one another, to love one another, to bear one another's burdens. And when somebody offends us or sins against us, we pray for them and we love them and we reconcile with them. And in this context, we can see that this prayer is effective. This is what God is calling us to do. He says our role is to pray, and it is God's role to give life. It does not say that our role is to come and rebuke. Our role is not to bring division and make them feel bad for what they've done. 
Our role is not to talk bad about them behind their back. Our role is to pray, to reconcile. And God says, and he will give life. So we still have one little bitty thing here. What is he talking about, this sin that leads to death, and why don't we have to pray for that? Well, this is what a variety of scholars and academics and teachers have disagreed about. And just so you recognize that this is okay, Peter says of Paul's writing, man, there's some things that Paul writes that are just confusing. And that makes me feel so happy. Like, oh, that's so good. Peter's confused. It's okay that I'm a little bit confused here too, right? But we want to make sure we're not building some first-order doctrine about something that is a little bit odd, okay? But I think we can understand what, what this means if we dive into it a little bit. Uh, David Guzik, another commentator, says that he thinks that this is talking about sudden death, referring to, like, the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They come with this offering, and they lie to the Holy Spirit, and God strikes them down dead. And so, perhaps, John is saying, if somebody sins and God kills them, don't worry about praying for them. <laughs> All right, cool. I like that. It's very simple. It's very simple. If you are alive, I will pray for you. <laughs> and David Guzik is very smart, so that very well could be the case. Other uh, people have some, some other ideas, one that we're going to look at today, and this is what I believe John is talking about, is in the context of this letter, he is dealing with heretics, apostates, false teachers, antichrists. Right? And so in the context of his letter, it makes sense that he is talking about those who are denying Christ and renouncing the faith. And in the context of we're building community, and if somebody sins against you, you should forgive them and pray for them, and God will give them life. But he's saying there is some. There's some people whose sin is so severe that are so destructive to the church, who are actually a cancer to the body, who are, have tasted of the truth of who God is, but have renounced it and turned away, and now are teaching that Jesus is not God, or Jesus is not the only way, or whatever. These apostates, Paul, John, this is John, he says, don't pray for them. He's not saying you can't pray for them, but he's saying the correct response is to remove them from the church body. And we see the New Testament deal with apostates, I think, in Hebrews chapter 6, 10, and 12. It's a very serious thing. We don't want to fall into that camp. But this is not doom and gloom, everybody. Don't worry, it's fine. Because God protects us. Yay! The one who is born of God, John says, keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We live in, in a fallen world where sin and corruption and death reign. The, the world, John says, is under the control of the evil one. Peter says that, the, that our enemy, Satan, is a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. This seems very scary. And sometimes the world can feel overwhelming. But John says, don't worry. You are born of God. You are safe. The evil one can never harm you. 
We are safe and protected in Christ. And finally, we see that we can have confidence in God because he reveals himself to us. And we already talked about this earlier, that the Spirit testifies in our spirit. John here at the end says, uh, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him. That we can, we are in him who is true by being in his son Jesus. He is the true God and he is eternal life. So how do we respond? What do we take away from, from this message today? That in the midst of turbulent times, in the midst of this world, in circumstances, in our old sinful nature, all this stuff that seems to be conspiring against us, we cannot find stability and confidence in anything except Jesus Christ. And in him, we have victory over sin. We have confidence in the testimony. He, we know that he hears us. We, we know that he answers our prayers. 